welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership management and more than ever, telling people they're on mute. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. If I keep dancing and don't stop, my emotions will never catch up with me and I can carry on in a constant state of blissful happiness and swing. Of course you can, Kendall. Uh, today on the show, we're talking with Alicia Brainerd, Senior Front-End Engineering Manager at Salesforce. Hi, Alicia. Hi. Well, Welcome. Thanks we're for being on the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And as we always do, we're just going to dive right in. Um, please tell us about your path to leadership, to, ha- uh, to management, to where you are now, starting anywhere you'd care to. Absolutely. So I guess if you could have a five-minute conversation with anyone who knows me, they would say that I'm driven. Um, I carry hand sanitizer in my car because I have a thing with dirty ATM buttons, gas station pumps. I'm optimistic. I love learning new things. I enjoy wait, life. Wait, so wait, but, but I, I'm sorry. You're right at the very <laughs> beginning of this. But like nope. the, the whole the hand sanitizer thing, like maybe people thought you were a little over the top before, but who, who you know, you look like you're perfectly prepared now, right? Like this mm-hmm. is this is a good thing. Yeah. yeah, you have no idea. I mean, some of the things that I've been doing for years that I feel like are normal, um, I feel like people will start to understand more. I actually have something that I'm kind of working on on the side. Um, it's essentially a hoodie that zips up over your face that I've been wearing for the past 10 years on airplanes, which is brilliant in my mind because I'm, I'm a germaphobe. So like, but it feels like the new normal to me. I don't know what it is. But has totally. your germophobia increased as a result of yeah, this, has, or is everybody else just yeah. right? Is everybody else just rising to your level a little bit? And you're, and you're cool now. I feel like they're getting there, like they're almost <laughs> almost there. Um, but yeah, like yeah, they're they're on the path. That's awesome. Nice, nice. So, so you're telling us a little bit about yourselves until yeah, Kendall. D- don't worry, we're going to interrupt some more. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you carry hand sanitizer. Uh, where else were you going with that? Yeah, so we carry hand sanitizer. Um, I'm a engineering leader, and I teach yoga. So, there's a lot of flexibility um, in my life in more ways than one, like through yoga and <laughs> through the way I lead and manage people. And uh, how did you get into uh, the role that you're in now? Did you go to college for engineering or did you study something different? Yeah, so I got into the role that I'm in now essentially through starting in engineering and realizing that coding was not my thing. It was something that I could do really easily. Um, However, I wanted a little bit more interaction with people. I wanted to be around people. I wanted to be talking to people, coaching people, mentoring people as opposed to writing code and, you know, not forgetting like that one, one element, the one dot or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely started to kind of move more in the lines of managing people, managing projects and making a difference in that space and being able to like coach, coach the ones that enjoy um, meticulous errors in code. And did that happen recently or were you, did that start, uh, start back when you got out of school or did you, yeah, how did that start, that, that transition happen? Yeah, so that stop it started in the early 2000s. So I graduated um, college 2002. So around that time, I had already realized that I didn't want to be an engineer and I wanted to um, manage, manage humans and be in that space with them. 
So how did you make that change? Did you just apply for a different kind of job? Were you already working somewhere and you were like, wait, this isn't happening, right? Yeah, give, give us the nitty gritty of how you got into management, like what, what it was like before and, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was working as a co-op and in that space, I was working on Lotus, Note, Lotus Notes, oh. which was kind of awful. Um, yes. So that could be a reason why I'm not an engineer. Um, didn't think about Damn that. Damn it, Lotus Notes. Look what you lost us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so you're so working Lotus on Lotus Notes. Notes. Yeah. Um, but essentially there was a couple other groups that were in that office. So there was an HR person, somebody in finance, and I just started to finish all my engineering things. And I would ask them for work being that ambitious college student um, that I was and trying to get hired at the company. So started down that path. And then from there, my first job out of college was actually an HR manager um, for Sears. And it was it was interesting. I worked in a warehouse where they fixed lawnmowers and all of those things. And I was the only HR person. So that was that was an interesting first like out of college job. Wow. Do you have any interesting tales from then? Like HR things that you had to handle that you, you know, can talk about in general terms? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the most bizarre things, this is probably like three months in, they didn't train me in college for this. Um, one of my employees that did not speak English um, was working on a lawnmower and ended up sticking a screwdriver in the motor of the lawnmower and came running into my office with his arm cut and was like, somebody else was like, what do we do? And I'm like, go to the hospital, call 911. Like, I can't, like, I'm HR, like, I can help you with a lot of things, but like- I'm not the school nurse. <laughs> Definitely they, they not. think you're enough of a Jedi that you can just, just you know, mend the wound too. I, I don't know that may, it may be, maybe you, you should look back on this as like flattery. Like they even thought I could. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Put yeah. this guy's arm back on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and like, was he okay? Was this like life altering wounds or just like scratch? Yeah, he was okay. Um, we ended up calling 911, calling his wife and doing all of those things, trying not to pass out and give myself air at the same time. Um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely an interesting thing. And I'm like, if I can make it through this, like I can make it through a lot of situations in management. So a lot of the things I see now, I'm like, that's easy uh, compared to this one time. Is anyone bleeding? Nah, yeah, that's fine. Right. <laughs> Did they almost oh, cut yeah. their arm? Nope. Have you, have you ever said, oh, you think you're stressed out? Let me tell you a story about a person mm. who literally lost their arm. You probably haven't, but. <laughs> no, but I need to. I feel like I, I need to throw that into a one-on-one. -on -one. That's right. <laughs> Swing your weight around. So you, you, were, you, you transitioned to management and you were an HR manager. Uh, what happened after that? I, I, I want to hear the, like, what was the next step towards getting into engineering management? Yeah. So I guess after that, I had a couple, you know, different jobs at different companies. Um, so I worked, um, in consulting. So I worked for a company called Bearing Point years ago, um, and learned a lot of, you know, different things about different sectors. So learned about government, learned about technical management, um, learned about all of that space and I was able to, um, I wasn't managing people at the time, but I was managing like projects and clients and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So I guess from there it kind of broadened um, my horizons and I wanted to really lead people as opposed to just projects or clients or something like that. So I was able to um, kind of throughout my career 
jump into other roles at other companies where I was able to um, get more in that technical like leadership space um, without having the title and then ended up moving up to manager in a few different companies and being able to manage people. So what was your what was your first official management role where you were actually responsible for um, for reports and and what was that transition like or was it pretty smooth because you'd already kind of been doing it? Yeah, I feel like it was pretty so managing direct reports. I feel like it was pretty smooth. So I started managing direct reports when I worked at O'Neill and Associates. Um, I had a couple different teams there, but I feel like the roles that I had prior to um, managing projects and customers and clients um, set me up for success in that space. And then also having that human resources background so I could kind of like put all of those elements together because a lot of times I think people don't necessarily have that like HR perspective in their minds. Um, they may be really strong technically, but they can't manage. They may not have the HR side. So like I was able to kind of like pull together a lot of those elements into creating my my perfect role, so to speak. And what does that look like now? How much uh, technical leadership is there versus uh, like uh, human leadership? So now I would say it would be, if you could do a percentage, like 20% technical leadership um, would, be the, would be the right number. And honestly, I, I look to my team for a lot of those elements and I, to have a high performing team in that space. Mm-hmm. So I wanna help them get to the decisions um, and listen to their ideas as opposed to giving them my ideas in that direction. So you you uh you had started out after this HR role you started out um you you went to the, and you said it was a consulting company and I, and I can't remember the name of it but um that you mentioned something about maybe them them giving you some training about management and about different organizational structures and stuff or did I mishear that? Um, so I believe they did. I don't know if I said that, but yeah. Um, so I worked at Bearing Point. I think they right. filed for bankruptcy years and years <laughs> ago. Um, but they um they were able to, I guess, like push me out of my comfort zone from like a management perspective. So managing clients, they would just kind of throw me in front of a client and be like, oh, Alicia can do this. She's got these skills. Here we go. Um, So there was a lot of jumpstart like in that space. Um, So I was able to learn a lot of different skills and pull in a lot of things that I didn't necessarily know that I could do. Like relationship building, that kind of thing? Or what other skills uh, uh, do you think you picked up at that point? Yeah, so relationship building, I was doing training and development. So at one point, I was going out to different Air Force bases and giving training on products and projects, um, training their people, training on systems, um, doing financial like modeling and different things. So they would just kind of throw me from project to project. And I would really jump in and immerse myself into whatever I could at that time. And like when... um... When you were stepping into this, is there something that stands out in your mind as a particularly painful experience you learned the hard way or 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 maybe the awkward way, like any anything that's like an embarrassing experience? Is there the 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 specific stories of the things that formed you? Is there anything that, that pops to mind? Yeah, I think one of the most memorable moments that I have um working there, one of my managers that I had worked for had mentioned in a staff meeting that 
to the entire group that basically like this wasn't the last stop in our career. We'd be working for other companies and to actually like hear that out loud, it was kind of bizarre to me. I was like, why wouldn't they want us to stay here forever? And of course, mm -hmm. you know, that was a different mindset back in 2005, like from where we are today. If you stay at a company for more than two years today, it's a long time. Um, but back then in my mind, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to stay here forever until I retire. And um, so I think that was kind of mind blowing. And I've always remembered that that one staff meeting, like I remember all the like elements from it. Um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely left an impression. Are there are there things then that you I mean, do you say this to your reports today or, or how like what how has that uh, influenced you other than just realizing that it's normal to move on? Um, so I haven't really shared that with my reports, but I've I've actually taken that in my own life. Um, so recently I made a change from a company that I absolutely loved working for. I worked for a company called Nation Builder. I was an engineering manager there for about two years. And I loved the company. I loved the mission, the CEO. Everyone I worked with was absolutely phenomenal. And there was just something in my mind where it was like, it doesn't have to be permanent. And I went back to, you know, pulling that piece that I received years ago um, from my manager at Bearing Point and was like, it's okay to move on. It's okay to take that next step in your career, um, regardless of the respect you have for the company, the people, all of those things. So I guess that's kind of how I really made my transition from Nation Builder to Salesforce. And what 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 was were you moving into a, a a more a broader role? What was the reason that you decided you had to move on? It sounded like you were extremely happy there at Nation. Building. Yeah, so I was moving into a I guess a a larger role. Um, I was moving into front end engineering management, whereas before um, it was kind of a mixture of different teams. So I was moving into more of a specialization. And then also, I enjoy, I guess, the comfort of a larger company. So there's there's elements about that where I feel, um, I, I feel I need that like in my in my own life. So they've got a lot of great things. We like talk talk, yeah, oh, yeah, talk about that. What are, what are the what are the, what are the things that make you feel comfortable in a large? I, I, as a person who's pretty uncomfortable in a large organization, <laughs> uh, and I've done both. Like I, I did the. <laughs> 25,000 person company and the two person company. Um, but uh, yeah, talk, talk about what you like better about those bigger ones. I think the thing that I, I like is um, stability. And that could be something, you know, that you could definitely argue like with a larger company, maybe you don't have stability, maybe there are a lot of layoffs, maybe there are all those things. But I feel like for me, like there's a, there's a lot more stability. Um, the benefits packages um, in larger companies are a lot sure. bigger and offer a lot more um, for myself and my family. So that was something that was really important, kind of taking into account all of those things. I'm curious to hear about your experience. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh. turn it around. Um, I, I appreciate that, Alicia. <laughs> like, Let me get around. I mean, the, the, you know, what's interesting is, so the, the 25,000 person organization, um, every country really operated pretty independently. So um, I guess, you know, it felt like a smaller than that organization. But the, the thing that, that stands out in my mind is that there would be systematic problems that I didn't understand. And I would have to find someone who had... Um, 
you know, known the founding CEO who is no longer alive and, you know, ask that person questions about why things were the way they were. And then, you know, this extremely high up person that was like eight levels removed from me was somebody that I could reach out to and be like, why the hell is this thing this way? And he could give me all this background and information on it. And suddenly it would all make sense. And I would realize this is a cultural thing that I will never be able to change. Like that I will never write the ship to avoid this problem because it goes back 60 years and 25,000 people, right? Whereas mm -hmm. in a small company, there's a lot of like, no, this is wrong and we're going to change it and just completely change the way the ship is going. So what um, you're saying is you lack patience. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I think we could argue that from several different angles, uh, regardless of that. But then, yeah, I mean, the yeah. other thing is, is in a big organization, there was a lot of opportunity to move around and redefine my role, which I liked. But man, in a small organization, there's a lot more opportunity to move around and redefine my role. Now, some of it's more out of my hands. Like in a big organization, I can go do something I enjoy doing. And in the small organization, it's a lot more of what needs to get done, whether I like it or not. Um, but those, I think those are the, the biggest things for me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, the big organization starts to feel like an immovable object to me. And, uh, and yeah, the impatience maybe takes over. Yeah. The, the weight of technical debt and cultural debt can be really large. And as someone who stayed at a company for nine years, I was like part of the creation of all of that cultural debt. And at the end, I was the person who would explain to people why, you know, why you can't change this, you know, app store to be this other way or whatever, because, because of all of this 10 years of history and it, yeah, it's real. <laughs> it is truly real. Yeah, but there are lots yeah. of great things about it as well. Um, so yeah, anyway, yeah. let's not, we, we're, we're not talking about us. Thank you. Well, Pamela, I did ask you to answer. I mean... <laughs> um, and, uh, so you have now moved into a larger role. How long, and how long have you been in this larger role? Um, only a couple of months now. So okay. about three months. Mm -hmm. oh, sounds like Kendall, you had a, well, yeah, I mean, I heard like, that intake of breath. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, I have your linked up pulled, pulled up here, linked in pulled up, not linked up, pulled in, uh, your LinkedIn pulled up. Whew, that's, that's hard for idea. me. Uh, and, and looking at, you know, some of this background, like talk about what's, what's different about these organizations between LexisNexis and, uh, Nation Builder and now it's Salesforce. Oh, yeah. That you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so LexisNexis, um, I was there for six years. I... Um, I guess I kind of grew into myself at Lexus, um, in a sense. So I was able to hold multiple positions at Lexus from an individual contributor all the way up to a manager. And I really felt a big sense of community working at Lexus. I worked on, on site. Um, so I, I really got a chance to work with different groups around the company and learn about, you know, marketing and sales and different spaces rather than just engineering. So I really enjoyed that piece of um, working at Lexus. And I was able to, at that time, we had a, um, a board for women in the organization, essentially where we trained women in different areas. We brought in speakers, we created empowering opportunities um, that weren't necessarily there in our community. We did a lot of volunteering and I was able to, my last year at Lexus, I was actually the president of um, our group. It was called Lexis Nexus Women Connected. So it was something that was 
absolutely amazing. And it was one of those things when I was leaving the company, like that was the piece I was going to miss. I was going to miss that community, that connection, giving back and being able to like see the impact of that. So um, I want to I want to yeah. uh, kind of ask a, a couple of questions that we don't normally necessarily ask uh, uh, in this in this podcast, but we're you know now in a time where some different things are coming into play when as leaders and um, one of the things I'm wondering is you know you've you just started a new job you're in this new role uh, pandemic is happening now what are you doing to take care of yourself uh, as you kind of come up to speed as you, you know, as you're dealing, you're probably working from home, I expect, was that something you were doing already? Talk a little bit about your experience there. Yeah. So um, my last two jobs, I've been working from home. So when I worked at Nation Builder, I was hundred percent remote and my role at Salesforce is hundred percent remote. So from a work perspective, um, I'm, I'm at home either way. Um, however, I guess during during this time of the pandemic, like I've really stopped to pause with my team and created space for conversation as opposed to just projects and productivity. So every morning we start off our check-ins with like a human check-in aspect of the check-in. So as a human, um, I kind of go around and people popcorn from one person to the other and they'll share what they did the night before, how they're feeling, whatever, whatever's really on their mind um, to give them that space, to give them somebody to listen to them. Because um, a lot are, of times I think there, it's hard to create that. Oh yeah. I mean, are there people who find this super therapeutic and people who are really uncomfortable about sharing about how miserable they are? Um, honestly, I think it varies from day to day. I've got a, um, I would yeah. say 90% of the time my team is open to it, but there could be days where you just have an off day and you're like, I, I'm good. Like everything's fine. Nothing's changed since yesterday. Please leave me alone. Yeah. Like, and the next yeah. person goes on. So yeah. I think there's elements of that, but I also, um, we typically don't have meetings on Thursdays and my team had asked, Hey, on Thursday, like, can we have this thing? Like, I know we don't do meetings, but like, I want to be able to check in and see how everyone's doing as opposed to just talking through Totally. And I can see that there, there's, you know, sometimes getting asked how you're doing all the time is, it can be exhausting when you're like, same as always, I think I'm feeling, not sure, you know, what are you going to say? Sometimes explaining how you feel takes far too much effort to really take the time to do it. (laughs) So some people are feeling more overloaded uh, than, than they normally are at just talking about themselves. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can well, see that being a day-to-day thing. And and how much uh, does it does it play into? Um, I mean, these are economically uncertain times, right? And I think Salesforce is one of the companies that announced they're not going to do any layoffs for a while. Is is that right? And and how has that affected your team? Has that been a big encouragement for them? Yeah. So it's been a big encouragement for my team and honestly myself. So that was one of the elements. Um, that when I started at Salesforce, this happened, this pandemic happened. And then I heard the CEO of the company saying in a all hands meeting that they weren't gonna do any layoffs. So I was like, I made the right choice. Like I came to the right <laughs> yeah. um, totally. 100% like kismet in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that makes a, a, a big difference. And I mean, do you like, I imagine it's part of your role to provide some assurances to people on your team and encourage them through this. And like, are you finding that productivity has tanked and and you need to just have patience or is it 
not really all that noticeable or maybe you're new enough. It's hard to tell. I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't feel like productivity has tanked at all. Yes, I'm I'm new to the to the group, but I feel like people are searching for more of a connection. So they're working together even harder to get something done to accomplish something, to feel like they have that sense of accomplishment, control, whatever the word is, like something like they are doing is going the right way and That's super creating something. Yeah, super I, interesting I, and positive. Yeah. Well, I can identify with like, normally when Friday rolls around, I'm wiped and I'm ready to do nothing for two days. And lately when Friday rolls around, I'm a little tired. It's different because uh, my, my pace is definitely different given how much my, my work has changed. But it's I'm also like, oh man, now for two days, I'm not going to be able to move anything forward. Like It's like life just goes on pause. And mm. I walk out of my office and I'm like, ah. Now what? I don't, I don't know yeah. that I'm enjoying it. So yeah. Uh, you got to quit your job, Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, no. uh, yeah, I don't have that feeling. I quit my job back in January. And so uh, I'm not really feeling that urge to like things stop over the weekend. No, I continue to do the things that I am normally doing, um, which is both good and bad, I suppose. Um, yeah. So you're, that's a really awesome uh, so the format for your meeting, your human check-in. Um, what are you doing for yourself? Are you, uh, are you like, consuming different kinds of media to try and avoid feeling stressed out? Are you taking more long, hot baths? Are you going for walks? How are you dealing with your surely elevated stress level at this time? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm relying on is my yoga practice. I've been doing a lot of yoga um, to really keep myself grounded and balanced. So that way um, I show up as a human and not a monster on my calls with my team um, because they're, there could be times where I, you know, get a little bit overly anxious or stressed out, especially, you know, during this time. So I think I really stayed grounded to my own personal practice and working out and doing meditations and doing a lot of social meditations as well, um, just to help calm others and myself. What's social meditation? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> a social meditation is really, really interesting. So as opposed to there, I guess there's a bunch of different um, ways that you could socially meditate. So you could breathe together to different counts of breath. So one, and that, like you would say the number one, and then you would breathe in. And then the next person would say the number one and breathe in. And you just kind of start to flow. And then noticing like the breath will come together by the end of the 15 minutes or 10 minutes. And then there's also um, mantras that you can repeat together as a group or just ways to, you know, show some connectivity during this uncertain time of. Huh, that's and, really cool. And is the the help that so I'm I'm yoga illiterate, uh, but you know, exercising like an idiot. But for me, it's mostly about just the endorphin rush that helps carry me through the rest of the day. I imagine yoga is s some combination of the endorphin rush, but then also that that mindfulness uh piece of stopping and being aware of where you are and how you're feeling and those kinds of things and just processing some of that is it is it more one or the other or is it kind of a combination of both yeah for me i feel like yoga is one of the only times i get out of my head during the day because i am hyper focused on my alignment on my poses that i'm working through on you know the next step that the teacher is 
teaching in that class and I'm hyper-focused on the practice itself, I can't be scrolling through other things. I can't be thinking about life. Otherwise, I'm going to fall on the ground. So like, I need to make sure I am 100% engaged in that. So yeah, I, I definitely um, think that's helped me out a lot. And then I've been doing just a lot of journaling too. And just kind of trying to recall how I truly feel that day, as opposed to like, everything's great. I'm doing great yeah. during this pandemic um, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have do you have more um, crisis related questions, Rachel? Otherwise, I'll shift gears. Uh, no, I was actually looking to move on too. So go right ahead. So, uh, I mean, the question we ask everyone on this podcast is tell us about your relationship with authority and how do you feel about having authority over others versus others having authority over you? How do I feel about authority? So I feel like it's easier for others to have authority over me, um, which is weird as a manager. Um, but like it's easier I feel- than you then you have authority, then you having authority over others. It's easier for yeah. you. Okay. And I guess I don't necessarily like consider myself in an authority type of role because I feel like my team, we work as the one group and I don't necessarily like see levels within, within that at all. Like I see a space where we collaborate together at the end, I can help drive them to a direction, but I'm not making the decision for them. Hmm. But there's, I mean, there is part of your job that involves, I mean, it may not, this may not have come up yet at your current role, but in your past uh, people management roles, there's always uh, correction uh, situations where you have to be the boss of the person. And, and so how do you, what happens when you are in those situations? Does that ever come up? Yeah, it's definitely come up. Um, I guess maybe I just didn't necessarily equate the word authority. So I think of it more as like coaching. Um, and maybe authority has like a negative like connotation in that sense in my mind. But I think of it as coaching and like facilitating and getting people to the level that they need to be at or help, you know, if they're not in that level, if they can't be coached, like figuring out what that next step looks like for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's historically been collaborative for you and not a situation where it's like, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. And, and then, no, you can't collaborate. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's I, awesome. honestly, yeah. Like, I haven't had a lot of those situations. Um, they've been pretty good. So <laughs> excellent. And then, and then, what about you know other people have an authority over you? Do you do you feel comfortable with that? I feel like I almost like welcome it at times. I think because I I am so deep in my head at times. So if somebody just tells me like do this thing, I'm like okay, sure, like that'll be easy. Like, I don't have to like be in my, in my head in that space is, you know, depending on what it is, like, there's obviously there's limits to everything in life. But like, there's times where I'm like, yep, this makes sense. Or like, when I go to a yoga pl- a class, like I want somebody to tell me what to do. Like, I don't want to make up my own thing. I can make up my own thing. But I need that level um, of authority, essentially, for somebody to like share that. And then I guess, within, um, I guess, a work perspective, I want somebody to like pull me out of my growth edge and like pull me like into a space where I'm not comfortable and like create that for me. So it's on the one hand, 
having someone have authority over you gives you some freedom to relax because somebody else is in charge. And, but at the, at the same time, it's also poke and prod at you to help you improve. And then, I mean, do you, do you feel like you pass that down as well? Like, like having some, you know, creating a space with some directives and control and those kinds of things too? Or do you feel like that's mostly what, what you get out of it more than, uh, your reports. I'm just kind of curious how you perceive that. Yeah, I definitely feel it's like a trickle down effect with with my reports. So I definitely push them to their growth edges. If they're uncomfortable with something like I will put them in that space, maybe gradually, maybe not just throw them in the deep end, but I will put them in a space where they start to like, grow and develop or, you know, start to gain skills or be in that. So I guess there is, you know, like some level of authority, like in quotes in there. <laughs> yeah. And do you feel like your relationship with authority is different now than when you were a kid? Um, yeah, I think so. Like, I think there's, there's definitely, I don't know if I necessarily processed it when I was a kid. Like, I don't think there was that level of like processing it. You were just kind of like, eh, authority, like who needs authority? Like what, what's the purpose there? And now um, I'm like, thank God I live in Ohio and like our governor is mandating, mandating us to stay inside. Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole range of different types of authority you could be concerned about. Um, I want to, I actually want to, I want to walk back to a question that we often ask and uh, because you're, you know, you're, you're coming into this role, you're starting to build, develop a relationship with your team. It sounds like you're very interested in the the human aspect of, of management. Um, what do you think is your strongest or best characteristic as a leader? My strongest or best characteristic as a leader? I would probably say listening. Uh-huh. So I think it's one of the most important things to do with your team. Um, so I create space in every single one-on-one -on -one, um, to listen and really make that my employees like time to share whatever they want to. So if there's silence, um, there's a reason that there's silence. I don't need to fill that void and keep asking questions. I need to let them kind of process and then they'll share more information with me, which I think is is really big and it can be uncomfortable at times. You can see them squirming and like, ugh, there's dead space, dead air, like what do I do? And then they'll start to talk. I feel called out. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, let's see. So uh, so you're, you you like to listen. Is there something that you're working on as a leader right now? What is, uh, what is your, um, your current uh, problem that you're, or skill that you're working to level up? Um, so I would say one of the things I'm working to level up on is, I guess, being relentless. So relentless to my commitment with um, results in the team. So really driving results and pushing for results. So that's something I'm working on is like trying to be relentless, but be compassionate at the same time. So I think it's it's one of those things where it's on that spectrum of, is it okay right now? Should I back off? Yeah, can, can you give an example of what that looks like when you're working with your team? 
Yeah, so I think being relentless. So let's say we've got something due. Um, and, you know, do I push them to complete said thing during this time? Like, do I push them to complete this project? Do I have faith that they'll complete this project? Or do I put into account all of the factors of, of life right now? Um, and just let it be and see see what happens. And that's kind of where I've been like in that space of just letting it be, trusting, um, getting data points and communicating those data points upwards or laterally, like whatever that looks like. So I think that's something that I've I've kind of been in that space. Did that answer your question? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So you're you're saying you're you've been in the space of like it's a terrible time for everybody. I am uh, I'm gonna trust that my team is gonna get things done. I'm gonna collect the data uh, as it arrives. And now you're you're gonna work on changing to be more relentless at driving them, or is I, I think I misunderstood something. Yeah, I guess more relentless um, with commitment, like team commitments. So like really pushing those team commitments. So if we have something due, like I guess starting to, you know, maybe at the beginning, even just estimating it better or like really digging in as to why we didn't get things done and not well, just, like, not just doing a task, but doing the hell out of this planning task and that kind of thing. Right. Okay. Yep. And not just all assuming right. we didn't get it done because of all things COVID. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, a little bit, you're recognizing there's a tension there between how much you push and how much you, uh, you, you trust or wait and, and, and that that tension is, is, is what's difficult. Is being uh, relentless a, uh, like a, a part of the culture, like a, a word in the culture lexicon at Salesforce in particular? I don't think so. I don't know though. It could be. Okay. I just, I, I was, was wondering if that was like something that was pointed out to you. <laughs> like, here's the thing you should do. You should be relentless. Okay. All right. No, cool. it was I, just so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so now you're, you know, you're, you're, you were working from home anyway, so this wasn't an issue for you, but when you're not uh, working uh, your day job quote, what, what kind of hobbies do you have? What do you do to, yeah. uh, you got that, you got the yoga. Uh, and what, what beyond that are you interested in? So I'm interested, I do a lot of cooking um, or oh, attempt yeah. to cook a lot of things. It Sometimes they come out, other times not so much. <laughs> um, so that's something that's been really exciting to do is just kind of um, learn new recipes. And then also like being able to cook with the things that are in your house, because as I mentioned before, I'm a germaphobe, so I have not been to the grocery store in oh over my All the things wow. have been delivered to the house. So whatever they deliver that's on there, I'm like, cool, like, let me see what I can do with this. <laughs> I enjoy that kind of challenge as well. Like the, the veggie box, random veggie box challenge, like what can I make with this, these constraints? <laughs> Someone with a weird diet, you know, like I enjoy that too. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. not super excited about the reasons for the constraints right now, but hey, it's a good idea to have fun with what you can have fun with. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, especially with cooking. Is the family forgiving of uh, of <laughs> meals turning out not not awesome, or do they expect perfection all the time? Yeah, so my wife does the same thing. So it's one of those things where she'll make something and I'm like, it's absolutely awful. Like we've got this agreement now, like before we used to try and like eat it and like power through 
And now we're to the point where like, I can't do this. Like, let's find something else. <laughs> <laughs> now, did that happen like just during the, the, the course of the pandemic or was that something that was coming up over time? <laughs> I think over the past like 10 years, like it's just something okay. like finally after like maybe seven, we're like, okay, we're here. Like, that's awful. I'm not All right. reading it. This was not a concession <laughs> that was just because of the, the pandemic cooking. <laughs> right, right. I wonder how many people uh, are having like similar levels of relationship improvements <laughs> because they're like, <laughs> fine, we're here for the duration. <laughs> There's my my wife uh, has said to me on more than one occasion we've we've uh, been together for 15 years almost so it's 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 funny when like two years ago she's finally like you know what I'm gonna stop asking you to do these things you're good at other things and I'm just gonna be okay with that <laughs> meaning <laughs> you're genuinely bad at this uh, and like picking out your own clothes to me. Like it's mostly, well, that for sure, but uh, also like building things. Like I, I just, I'm too happy with imperfection. It's a problem. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. imagine that. It just makes you laugh. It, it makes you smile when something isn't quite, hadn't go, didn't go quite right. I just don't mind, but uh, you know, <laughs> when it's when it's the house and decor is involved, it would be nice if I was more of a perfectionist. Um, Okay. Well, and then, uh, has, has being a leader affected your personal life positively or negatively? I feel like it's impacted my personal life in a positive, um, aspect because I'm able to almost take the situations or the, the ways to work with certain situations, like outside of work and into my regular life and have those skills and be able to like pull from those and like, Oh, like I can, I can do this here. When somebody calls me and they want to share something with me, I shouldn't say words. I should just listen, which is so easy to just be in a totally different space and like disconnect from what you would normally do um, while you're work, while you're working versus like while you're at home and in your like own life. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it's given me those skills. Um, well, and then, you know, we're, we're getting close to the end here, but I'm curious if you have any suggestions for things that you're reading or media that you're intaking and enjoying right now, either that helps you become a better leader or helps you get through uh, these strange times, the weird. Uh, the big weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things that I'm kind of starting to look at is digital minimalism. So I am interested in that because I have noticed that my screen time is off the charts um, on my phone. And it's really sad if, if, I, if I look at it. Um, so I'm starting to figure out each week, what's one thing I can take out of my life? What's the one app I can delete and live without? Like, how do I do that? How do I disconnect a little bit more um, in this time and really like pay attention to the things that matter? So maybe it's one more like handwritten letter, one more, you know, family experience outside of social. Mm -hmm. And uh, what 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 is the most recent app you deleted? So the most recent app I deleted is House, um, and I I love designing all things for my home and buying things for the house. So that was something I was kind of addicted to. I would just start playing with House and coming up with new ideas and all of that. And I was like, this is getting bad. Like I need to just stop. I need to <laughs> disconnect. It's like a design app or what, 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 what is, what does it do? I'm not familiar with the app. 
Yeah, so how's you can look at pictures of people's kitchens or you can buy things for your own mm. kitchen or start to come up with designs. So I would use the house app as a jumping off point and then use a you know different app or PowerPoint or whatever and start to redesign rooms in my house um, just out of like complete boredom. I was like, I need to redesign the living room. Like, here's what it's going to look like. Sounds like a thing you really could do right now. You could just turn directly to actually physically redesigning your house. Uh, yeah. Skip the in-between step. <laughs> over and over again. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. a great app, and I'm, I feel like I should go install that right now. But um, I'm not taking the right message from this. I know I am. <laughs> um, so uh, we are get, coming up to time here, but um, where can people find you on the internet if they want to ask you more questions? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at MacAppleChick. Mm-hmm. All right. We will I'll put, put that in the show notes and LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for spending time with us today. We appreciate it, especially in, you know, in these weird times, as we keep saying. Yeah. Thanks, Alicia. Absolutely. Thanks.